Welcome back to another episode of the Mindful Hunter Podcast. I am your host as always, Jay Nickel. And today we have a special guest, my buddy Sean Curran from Maui, um, an absolute stud of a hunter, super humble guy, uh, really fun chat, um, and maybe one of the best storytellers we've ever had on the podcast. I don't want to give everything away, but there may be a, a moose story and an odd ad story that are some of the most entertaining hunting stories I've heard in quite a while. So as always, if you could take a moment and engage with the podcast, like, comment, share, subscribe, always greatly appreciated. And if you want a piece of merch, mindfulhunter.com slash shop. And without further ado, here's my buddy, Sean from Maui. Um, okay. So first of all, let's, let's back it up a bit as we were just talking about you're on Maui. So are you a born and bred island boy, or is this somewhere you, where, where, where are you from originally? Yeah. So I was born here on Maui. Um, okay. I lived here with my mom and dad. So I was about six. And then, uh, when they separated, my mother moved all the way to the East coast. She uh, moved to Connecticut and got as far away from my, my pops as, as she could, I guess, you know, going all the coast. I don't know what happened there, but yeah. So I went over with her and spent about seven or eight years on the East coast. And then kind of when I was old enough to realize like, Hey, I could live in Hawaii or back over there. I came over to live with my pops and finish out my high school years around freshman year in high school and then uh, never left. Well, actually, I went I went to Washington State, did a couple uh, years of college up there and then came back to Maui and just been here ever since. And yeah, just fell in love with it. So yeah, what so was that like as a kid leaving a place like Maui and going to a place like Connecticut? Like that's uh, different ends in the world, man. Yeah, I mean, I think I was so young. I didn't realize okay what was going on but you know i love boogie boarding and stuff like that when you know i was five years old and i'd come back and visit my dad every summer spend the summers with him and then be on the east coast for the winters and it, it was kind of cool you know um being raised over there it, it really diversified me as far as you know i played a lot of different sports i played hockey you know right. being born in hawaii nobody not too many people can say they actually no. play ice. there's some yeah. shave ice but that's about the only ice around yeah, yeah exactly yeah, so it was neat. I played hockey growing up. Uh, that was a fun sport. Um, yeah, and, uh, you know, just, just going through the winters out there and, you know, skiing and snowboarding. And I mean, we used to ride our ice skates on the on the streets when they'd freeze over, you know, and get yeah. behind the U-trucks and, you know, hold on to them. I mean, we, <laughs> it, was, it was cool, you know. It was, it was, um, it was definitely well-rounded me, you know, growing up on the East Coast and then coming back to Hawaii where I was born. So when does hunting come into play? Because this is something I'm curious about that there, it's not like, I don't want to say hunting isn't part of the Hawaiian culture because it is, especially historically, but the, in the time I've spent on there, it's not something that you would associate with like popular current culture on Hawaii. I feel like there's definitely less people hunting than, than are hunting, if that makes any sense. So was that something your old man was into or did you come to that later in life? No. Yeah. I got into it more later in life. Um, I had some friends that would run dogs in the jungles and we'd go after pig. I mean, pig was the number one, uh, you know, wild game resource over here. And, you know, the locals and the Hawaiians love, love the pork and, you know, everything as far as, uh, 
you know, the Kahlua pig and putting it in the emu and all that was a big part of the, the culture over here. So we did a lot of pig hunting in the beginning. And then the deer weren't very popular 20 years ago. Um, there was quite a bit of them, but nowhere near the abundance that there is now. Right. And, uh, as they started populating and, um, you know, I'd, I'd go out gun hunting with some buddies of mine and then, you know, and then I started eating it. Right. It was, it was right after college, you know, I was on my own. I was like, Hey, you know, this axis deer is phenomenal eating. It saves me a ton of money from, you know, buying meat from the store. I was like, I could get used to this. You know, I didn't, you know, I was just frying it up in the pan, whatever, just yeah. the easiest to, to eat it. But, you know, when you're young and it didn't matter to me, it was delicious and it saved me money. So I was all about that. And, uh, yeah, so I got into deer hunting and, um, did that probably for the last 20 years or so. I'm 42 right now. Okay. I'm 43. So we're the same age. Maybe take a minute and break down how some of the hunt, hunting regulations on, on Maui work, because it's a lot different than what most people would think because, they're, you know, a lot of stuff is technically an invasive species, so they're not even treated like like game animals and stuff. And maybe because because it is a pretty fundamental difference. Maybe just walk through how, uh, you know, what it's like from a regulatory perspective to hunt on on the islands. Sure. So, I guess uh, you know the the main factors are you know you do need a hunting license. Um, uh, I don't know. I think it's like a buck 25 for non-residents or so. And then you don't have tags, but I leave, I believe some of the public land over here, you're allowed to shoot. Um, I don't know. I, I'm just guessing here, but I think it's like two deer a day or, uh, you know, maybe one pig. We do have pig seasons, which is kind of ridiculous because we have a, so many pigs out here. They really need to be controlled. Um, we don't have very much public land hunting here on Maui. Um, we have a you know quite a bit of jungle stuff, but that's just for pigs, right? right. There isn't or, or really any goats up in there. Um, but as far as good public land hunting, man, it is it's scarce. We you, you rarely see a deer in these areas. You know, if you do, they get shot right away. Um, we've got quite a bit of goats in those areas and some pigs, but as far as the deer hunting goes on Maui, it's it's, it's a little frustrating because uh, it's it's majority private land access you need to gain over here and um and it's it's like pulling teeth and hair to try and get on you know these places and we have such an abundance of deer and they're just spreading like wildfire that it's it it definitely um we we need more areas opened up for the public or for hunting clubs or you know places like that to really get us into these problematic areas because they've basically migrated into our, our jungles and there's no getting rid of them. I mean, these things are breeding constantly and it's, yeah, they, <laughs> they're, they're trying to come up with ideas to, to manage them, but it's, it's honestly, it's, they need the public's help to control the amount of animals out here. You can hire eradication companies. You can, um, you can get all the ranchers and the friends involved, but unless you, you really get more people from the public involved, which is majority of the hunters on the island, you're not going to be able to control these animals. Yeah. Something else that I thought was unique about Maui is, and maybe it's because the land is so sought after, 
but there is like there's a few like gigantic landholders on mm-hmm. that island that have some really key pieces of property. And I don't want to say they're absentee, but they're even people like who aren't even necessarily like ranching it and maybe aren't as tied or as affected to the type of damage. Like I think if they were actually people living on this private land or working that private land, I think they would be a little bit more incentivized to be a little bit friendlier with the with like the general public land hunter, but because they're these people that probably have more money than God to begin with, it doesn't seem like it's a big that was my experience on Maui too. Like everything we did was permission based. Like I I think I was a hundred percent on 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 private land the the whole time. Yeah, I believe it. The the public land is it's tough hunting up here. I mean it's still fun and beautiful areas, but it's it's tough and and when you get access to some of these private ranches or these bigger land you know shareholders i mean you you are in for a ton of fun i mean there's just animals running around everywhere um so yeah it's it's uh (laughs) it's 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 a tough subject over here man it's it's something that the the community's been pushing i mean so here's another aspect of it we have a lot of state land right that isn't even private property it's state and, you know, on the mainland, just about majority of the Western states, all their state land or federal land is open to public hunting. Right. Well, over here in Hawaii, it's not. It's actually you can't you can't go and hunt these areas. Really? Um, and it's majority liability purposes. Right. That's okay. always is the liability. But come on now. Every other state doing it. There's ways around it. It's just we're just behind the curve. And because of the issues of not allowing hunters to access these areas and control the population. It's like I've said in the beginning, Art, we've just got so many freaking animals over here. It's crazy. I don't think people can actually visualize the devastation because everybody gets behind the pig thing. You've seen the videos of the pigs and all the damage they do. When Mm -hmm. I saw, well, A, you're hunting and then all of a sudden 300 axis deer run by and you're just like, what is like, you're just, I, I was like, I, I don't even know what to say. Like you could feel the ground move. You know what I mean? And there's just deer everywhere. And then especially when you get into some of these little more jungly section where it's like the closed canopy overhead and it's just devastation. Like the ground cover is gone. It's ground mm-hmm. to sand everywhere. There's like mm-hmm. two foot deep tracks and like that, that, that real, I forget what you call it. It's like the real soft sand that as soon as you drive and you get stuck, but, and there's just trails blazed everywhere and you're looking around and it's like, you'd have a hard time doing this on purpose. You know what I mean? But there's mm-hmm. just so many deer over there that they just, they just brutalize those forested areas, man. Oats. Like I was, Oats did you see? Thousands. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. So oh, th- there's that battle between the ranchers because they're trying to, you know, ranch the cattle over here and get them the best feed possible. And then you got the deer and you also have the thousands of goats. I mean, I think there's more goats than deer over here. It is crazy. Crazy. So, uh, yeah, you've got them all competing. And then between the three of them, the amount of erosion, you know, that they caught pretty mind, pretty mind blowing. And then it, and then when we get the heavy rains, it all flows out into the, you know, the water, the ocean and the reefs and it covers them and it, you know, starts killing off a lot of our reefs. And yeah, it's, <laughs> they've, they've got some problems on their hands. Uh, you know, if, if the state had their way, they'd get rid of them all. 
they they'd kill them all if they could, right. but they they just can't. And again, they need the public's help, and hopefully they they're coming up with some solutions for that. That'd be cool. What do yeah. you think is the general consensus on this Maui Nui thing that Ferris is a part of over there? Is that seen as a good thing, a bad thing? What's the what's the sentiment? Yeah, that's a uh, that's a tough subject as well. Um, okay. So there is definitely a need for him over here, you know, and on the private lands, of course, right? The private landowners can do whatever they like, and whatever they please, hire whoever they want uh, on their hunting. Um, me personally, I feel like the deer was a gift to the the people of Hawaii for, uh, you know, a self-sustainable resource, right. Of, of food. And, um, I'm more about feeding the community, right. Rather than making a profit off, off of the deer. Um, I've gone into the ranch headquarters all over and we, we actually, a buddy of mine, um, created a feed the hunger program because we've seen every state on the mainland has a feed the hunger program through wild game. Well, Hawaii didn't. And I think it took them about seven or eight years to get that finalized, which is kind of ridiculous. But, um, so we actually have a feed the hunger program where we'll go out into some of these private property areas and we will, uh, you know, hundred percent just go out and, and do all the work for free and donate all the meat to the community or the food bank. And, yeah, and they, awesome, man. you know, they actually love it, but, you know, you have the Maui Nui guys and they also have majority of the private land areas to do that on. So it's it's a little tough um, getting us access into these places. But, you know, it's 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 all about and don't get me wrong. They, they definitely have, you know, more of the uh, what do you call it? The weaponry and, you know, the more they're mostly doing like night shooting and stuff, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Night shooting, even when we do the feed the hunger program, it's all night shooting. Okay, uh, okay, but uh, yeah, that's one way to do it. But man, these axis deer are so incredibly smart. Like, they <laughs> once you start shooting them at night, as soon as you shine that light, man, they uh, they know they, they are an incredibly smart animal. I heard one time a rancher in Texas, it was all about his white tails, and he had about I don't know, a couple hundred axis deer running around, and he shot all of them except for a herd of like 20 or 30 that just stayed in his deepest darkest part of his ranch that he couldn't get rid of i mean <laughs> they know yeah and yeah. fast man i don't think people uh, understand like i've never yeah man it's uncanny how they move like it's almost supernatural yeah 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 they're smart animals for sure uh you know i compare them to a lot like elk they're right. a herd animal. yes they rut Real similar to elk, you know. Well, elk they have, roar or something, don't they? Don't they do like a croaky kind of? Yeah, we call it a scream. Okay. Yeah, like a raspity scream. Yeah. And uh, so they're real, you know, they're a lot similar to elk hunting. Um, herd animal, rut the same. They, you know, they do everything the same, really. You know, all the females are always on alert. You know, they put their head down and feed for about two seconds. They lift their head right back up, look around. And, you know, when you got 40 or 50 of them, good luck trying to get in there with a bow. Now, with a rifle, it's it's <laughs> it's pretty easy to do with a rifle. Um, yeah. Yeah, I rifle onto those axis deer for a couple of years, and I, I got pretty bored with it. There, We had so many of them, and then I got hunting, and it was like, oh, this is next level, right? This is – now you need it, – it's all on you, right, to get close yeah. to the – and uh, 
that really sparked a fire inside of me. And then I pretty much uh, dropped a lot of my uh, fishing and, and spear diving activities and just focused on bow hunting. And, and it's, it's been a blast, man. The last, last 10 or 12 years, hardcore. Yeah. It's been awesome. I think too, what I really appreciated is there's a lot more spot and stock um, bow hunting opportunities than, you know, the other place people would think of when you say access would be Texas. And I think there's a lot more kind of ambush water hole, not to, I mean, Hey, I'm that, that's cool. That that's fun too. I'm just getting right. into tree stand hunting for whitetail, but for my kind of like Western hunting style that I just love a good spot and stock hunt, trying to, trying to creep in and close the distance. And it was, um, there was lots of opportunity for that on Maui. Like it was just a blast, man. And they're mm -hmm. so tuned up. And that was the thing. Like it's one of those rare situations when there's too many animals because it's like, you're so focused on that buck. That's 80 yards over there. You don't realize there's a half a dozen does between, and am I using the right terminology or is it, or is it, is it a buck and doe with axis? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. okay. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, you don't realize you you trip over three does and they blow you out on your on your way to the buck. Yeah, yeah, a lot of good topography, you know, good cuts and draws all over the place, and definitely um, when you're creeping in on a herd, you better get those binos glassing that herd for a while because you know you you might be able to see twenty of them, but there's fifty of them that you know thirty others that you don't see. Um, yeah, and just moving slow and and uh, you know getting as low as possible. Yeah. So what's the hunting culture like on, on Maui? Like, do you, is there a bunch of you guys that are into this? Are you kind of, is it, is it more, is it, um, do you feel like you're more of a smaller type of group and then how to, how do other people feel about, about hunting in general on Maui? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, I think there's, there's a lot of us local hunters here on the Island. And again, going back to the beginning, um, we battle for places to be able to hunt, unfortunately. Uh, so it, it kind of, you know, takes the air out of the bubble a bit when, you know, you, you get shut down constantly trying to get, you know, some good access to get places to hunt. Um, so, but yeah, no, we have, there's definitely a lot of hunters on the island. And then you've also got, you know, the jealousy that kicks in, right? And when the, the people are like, oh, so-and-so is shooting all these big bucks and, you know, all that bullshit that comes along with, with, with that side of it. Um, but, you know, also a lot of these guys that do get the access do a lot of hard work to get the access, right? right. Like the way I've gotten most of my access is by knocking on doors and offering to do work, you know, right. and meet them, become friends with them and, uh, you know, just be helpful. And, and that's the way kind of I was raised was, you know, nothing comes easy, nothing comes for free. You know, it's all about the hard work you put into it and getting access is a big part of that. Um, but no, there's a lot of us over here, man. And we're all, I mean, when you get to hunt access deer 365 days a year, you get pretty dang skilled, especially with a bow in your hand. <laughs> not, yeah. not, you know, sound like, you know, I'm, got an ego or cocky or whatever you you call it it's just hunting these axis deer <laughs> they definitely teach you what you can and can't get away with yeah um and then you've got a lot of the pig hunters that run the jungles you know with their dogs and uh yeah you know do a lot of boar hunting in the mountains um let's see and then uh and then the goats are fun to hunt as well you know um a lot of people don't eat the goats but they're, you know, like the Filipinos do, um, you know, 
if you if you shoot like an older billy it might it might taste kind of nasty but my wife's you know filipino and i'll tell you what her dad makes a mean goat curry or a mm. mean you know, goat adobo and it's phenomenal you know yeah. so it comes down to the way that you you know you you cook it um but yeah the goat hunting's fun that's another real fun animal to do especially with the bow they got really good eyesight um so once they you know they're kind of like sheep once they see you it's they're going to stare in your direction for a couple of hours. Um, you really got to circle all the way around to come in from a different angle for those things. But, uh, yeah. So, I mean, there's tons of goats. Um, uh, but as far as the, yeah, the, the culture side, I, I think more of the locals are after the pigs and the pork for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That'd make sense. That'd make sense. Sorry if that question on my kind of no man no that 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 helped for sure um because when i went over it felt like nobody was hunting but you also as a Mm. tourist in maui you kind of are in a little bubble the whole time and you never that was one of the reasons i wanted to go hunting because that was like a you know figured it would be kind of a way and i can remember um you might even know the cafe we went to and i think what he it was the second day and he's like are you hungry and we had to we're like bouncing between two places and I think what he went in and got me is called a bullseye breakfast, but it's like the most Hawaiian thing I think I've ever eaten. And it was like, it was a bunch of rice with some fried eggs and some slabs of fried spam. And I forget what else was on there. And then a shitload of ketchup, man, it was one of the most delicious things. And it's just in this big styrofoam container. And it was like, that was like stand at the Fairmont. You just, you don't even get shit like that. You know what I mean? And it was like, right. it was just this little cafe on the on the side of the highway that we, that we stopped at, you know what I mean? Like it was, uh, yeah, it was pretty badass. It was, you know, I, we're, we're, I'm hoping maybe go back for Christmas. We went to Mexico for Christmas this year. Um, but the wife is pretty keen on going back to Hawaii next year in some part. I don't know, maybe Maui again, maybe one of the other islands, but I had a blast over there and it was weird to me to be hunting because we did everything. We did a little bit, of like side of the mountain goat hunting, couldn't see anyone except the ocean. And then, then we were like literally right back in town. Like I remember sitting in a dude's backyard for an hour and this guy's like, I'm just going to try and push some deer through this backyard. And if they run through, just shoot it. And I'm like looking at some chick's house and I'm like, okay. You know what I mean? Like it works for me, man. As long as they're okay with it, I'm okay with it. So it was weird to have that like you know, total dichotomy of like kind of wilderness hunting and then just, you know, looking for deer in people's backyards. Well, they get so smart. They, they know where their comfort zones are. And like I told you about that rancher, you know, a lot of these deer get pushed into these uh, smaller landowner areas or, you know, I mean, somebody's backyard and they're bedded underneath somebody's tree that never hunts them and they know exactly where they don't get hunted. Right. Yeah. So, you kind of got to hunt, uh, you know, the edge lines of these private property owners and, you know, try to get access to some of these places that they don't allow the hunting because that is exactly where they are. Um, that's why there's such a, a high, um, uh, you know, for bow hunting. You know, I think that's why a lot of private landowners are looking for more bow hunters rather than rifle hunters just because nobody likes gunshots, you know, 100%. out in the right. So. Yeah, I think, I think there's a high demand for bow hunters over here, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I want to get I want I want to talk more about your hunting, but I think this is actually a perfect segue because one of the things that we talked about a while back, having you on to talk about, is blood tracking, and I think there's a couple things going on. One, the sheer amount of hunting that you you get to do and the number of animals that 
you get to personally take and then participate with other people taken down puts you in a rather unique situation. And then also being in these sensitive areas where you're like close to people's houses and it's kind of even more important. So maybe if we could go on a little tangent right now and talk to me about how, how you approach blood tracking and then, and then maybe we'll just get into that from there. Okay. Yeah. So let's go from a bow hunting standpoint. Cause that's kind of my, um, my forte and what I've, what I've done mostly in the last 10 years. Uh, you know, you release the arrow and, uh, you know, the first thing you always want to do is try and watch the direction the animal runs because a lot of the times you're, you know, you release the arrow and then who knows where you're looking and what's going on. Right. So always try to remember that the direction it ran and then, yeah, you know, get over there. Uh, of course, look for your arrow. Um, if you can't find your arrow, which you usually don't most of the time, the ground's so thick and cover, or, you know, it's still an animal or whatever the case, uh, then yeah, you know, I would say within the first 10 yards, you should find some blood, right? So you really got to scour that area that you shot the animal the hardest. Okay. And if you can't find blood, then you start going in the direction the animal went, of course. Um, but what really helps me is, um, I really get down on my hands and knees, like a freaking bloodhound. You know what I mean? I get close to that foliage and I start crawling in the direction where I think that animal went, if I haven't found blood or if I have found blood and it starts trickling out to where there's a very minimal trail. Um, I get on my hands and knees and I get up close and personal with that blood trail. And that is one way that I can really focus on which direction that animal, um, you know, goes, uh, that's a huge part of it. Um, you know, although where do you hit the animal, right? If you hit this animal, I've had, you know, I, <laughs> I don't want to, say that I've wounded a ton of animals, but I've definitely wounded my share. I'm not proud of it by any means. It just happens. These things yeah. for flexes are. I think more great. so too with those axis, man, the speed with which they move, like you can have the best intentions in the world. And when an mm -hmm. animal's capable of ducking, you know, 12 to 16 inches yep. in the blink of an eye, like shit happens, man. Like there's nothing you can <laughs> do about it. it. It really isn't. I mean, I, I try to shoot the, the quietest setup I possibly can. Right. Uh, that definitely helps. Um, okay. So talk about that, for instance, let, let, let's take a little pause there because I yeah. think different people have different approaches to like why they choose the tackle they choose. So what do you think contributes to the quietness of your setup? Like what kinds of things are you looking at? Sure. Yeah. Um, as far as uh, bow wise goes, you know, the, the shot breaking, um, I've, I've had some bows just have like a loud twang or twack or whatever the case that is. And you can only do so much to quiet it up. Right. But, you know, putting uh, string dampeners on there, um, putting, uh, stabilizers on there, all that stuff helps, um, with the vibration of the bow, which will help with the noise. So the start of it is, you know, the, the sound that comes off the string hitting the bow uh, so if you can get that as quiet as possible and, uh, you'll be in good shape. And then the, uh, the sound of the arrow flying through the air, right. Definitely do your research on fletchings and try to get, you know, <laughs> accuracy is important, but also the sound, 
and, and it depends what animal you're hunting, right? Let's just talk about our axis deer that, again, they're one of the skitziest animals in the world. Um, they hear that thing coming from as <laughs> soon as you release that arrow. So, yeah, so, you know, do your research on the fletchings and the veins and try to get the quietest one possible. That also shoots the most accurate you can. What do you like for, for veins? Um, I run the AAEs. Yeah. The else. Yeah. yeah, I've been running a long time. Um, they've got a little bit of a hum to them, but I think the blazers are a lot louder. I shot those for many years. Um, and, you know, we could go down the rabbit hole of other ones. But, yeah, I shoot the, the max stealths. Um, I like those. The only switch I've made in the last couple of years is moving over to the hybrid just because I find them a little less finicky to glue on and you don't got to mess around with the primer pen, but it's essentially the exact same uh, profile and basically the same stiffness of, yep. uh, and uh, are you a three fletch or four fletch guy? I'm a three fletch with those. Okay. Uh, if they're more aerodynamic, I'd probably run a four. It yeah. definitely grows it a little better. And we got a lot of wind over here. So I like to shoot a, a real micro diameter arrow too. Yep. Uh, with less wind drift and all that. Yeah. You know, and, um, and then as far as, you know, fixed blades and, and, uh, mechanicals, uh, it, it really depends for axis deer. I like mechanicals. They just, they fly, uh, quieter. seems like, right. Like aerodynamic. Yep. And, um, but, uh, they all, you also can't, reuse them as much as a, a fixed plate <laughs> yep for sure playing over here it is nice to constantly you know just sharpen that fixed blade back up uh, any mechanical in particular that you like um i run the the grim reaper uh pro series um it's it's done pretty well and it's actually one of the only mechanical broadheads that i've been able to constantly reuse as long as you take it apart clean it up real good you know, I ran, I ran, um, uh, rages for a while, but it seems like you can't really reuse those. Um, they pretty much break a lot or bend, you know, it's where they're not reusable. You can replace blades and stuff, but no, the Grim Reapers have been solid for me. Um, okay. I've been running and then they've also got a little, a micro diameter, diameter, uh, fixed blade. It's called the micro hate. And that, okay. that's a Ooh, geez, I shot a pretty giant moose up in Alaska with that head and it passed through the thing. So, yeah, <laughs> that's wild. Yeah. Was, so, yeah, I've been pretty happy with them. Yeah. And then how about like overall weight? You a heavy arrow guy, extreme FOC kind of guy. What, what's your, what do you, what's your setup like? Sure. So for the axis deer, they got a pretty thin hide. Yeah. So you don't watch up front, right. To, yeah. to blow those things. So I'll probably put about you know, 20, 20 grains or so grams in inside the front of my arrow um, instead of running a one twenty five broadhead, which you know it's just harder to find mm -hmm. broad one twenty five grain, right? Yep. So I uh, yeah, so I'll run you know just twenty up up front, twenty or forty, um, and and then if I go elk hunting or something like that, I might put forty or sixty up front. Right. And, um, yeah, that's about it. Yeah, a little bit heavier for the for the thicker hided animals. And then, as far as weight, what are you drawing? Are you a seventy pound bow guy? Um, I wish. No, I run a sixty five just because I've got a little bit of shoulder problems. Yep. Um, so I can run a seventy, but it's just you know, 
just yeah it's, it's it's just not for me i wish you know it's just i'm thinking totally. of downsizing myself actually i think you're probably wise i think we let our you know we talked earlier about ego and i think we you know as men we you know i, I figured you know cam's pulling 80 pounds i gotta pull 80 pounds and uh and i'm a big dude and i thought i'd be fine but uh yeah it was starting to grind down my shoulder man for sure and i'm in the market for a new bow and i've decided that yeah i'm just gonna go I'm still kind of okay, so I'll just go 70 for the next one. But um, I learned on on 65. And when you start getting down there, man, like three or four pounds one way or another really makes a big difference. And I also think it's the same thing with gunned. When you get overgunned or overbowed, people's accuracy goes out the window because they're so afraid of what it feels like when the thing goes off in their hands. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that's a great poundage, man. And I think more people, I think there's probably... The, the additional accuracy some people could get from a, from a more appropriately weighted gun or bow, I think would pay off 10 times compared to, you know, 15 or 20, you know, extra feet per second that they would, that, that they might be losing. Yeah, I agree completely. Yeah. You nailed it. Um, I've, I haven't had any problems with my 65 pound pull weight. It's it's done everything I could have asked it for, uh, you know, a little bit more penetration, maybe on the elk or so it would have been nice, but, uh, it's, you know, another thing too is, is drawing back under all different kind of, uh, circumstances and situation, right. right? Like you're on, you're on your knees or you might even be kind of laying down on the side and you got to draw back on the side and then kind of lift up. Good luck trying to pull back something heavy in an yeah. awkward position. And anything sporadic, any kind of like just little drawing too fast or it just, you know, some kind of jerky motion. These animals are crazy, man. They sense all that stuff. So I just like to do it as slow and smooth as possible. And I just feel like a lighter poundage really helps me with that, you know. I think it pays off dividends in holding time as well. I was in one situation where I, I kind of just ran out of juice and I was trying to hold on this one axis buck. And, you know, if I'd have been another 10 pounds lighter, maybe I would have had another 30 seconds, you know, before the shakes kind of start setting in and you're like, this is, not, I got to let down because yeah. there's not, I'm not going to hit the broadside of a barn right now. <laughs> right. You know, sometimes I've noticed if you uh, kind of tilt your bow down, you can actually kind of rest your elbow ah. on your egg yeah. and it, it, it relieves the pressure of it quite a bit huh. and it'll let you hold it quite a bit longer. I'm gonna have so, to check that out. Yeah. yeah, because I've been in I've been in situations like that because you're you're playing this really fine, you know. Even when I took my big buck in in Arizona, you you know when you have the opportunity to draw back without being seen, might still be quite a ways from when you're actually going to be given a shot opportunity. And so, kind of waiting as long as possible to draw back, but yet still drawing back before you're going to get seen by the animal, I think is it's a, it's a fine line that we're always trying to play. So anything that we can do to, you know, stretch out that time under tension and be more comfortable with holding our bows back, I think is really going to increase overall success or at least confidence anyways. Definitely. Yeah. And confidence is everything. <laughs> it really yeah. is. Especially <laughs> with bow hunting. You know, it's funny. I was trying to explain to somebody the other day, actually, it might've been when I was talking to Lander about, bear hunting, I'm more confident with my bow than I am with a gun. Because just if I look at all the times I've been hunting and all the times I've either pulled a, pulled a trigger or loosed an, loosed an arrow, 
Statistically speaking, when my arrows hit animals, they die and I find them. And then and in, in the few times I've had weird things happen, and I think I feel so disconnected with the rifle. Like I'm 300 yards over here. I'm looking at it through a scope. You pull the trigger. There's smoke. The gun recoils. And then and it's like, I don't, I don't know what happened. Whereas like with the bow, I can, I can feel when that arrow connects, you know what I mean? And you can normally tell, I'm like, oh, that was a rib. I went right through and you, I don't know, I'm just, and then once that gets into your head, when I pull back, I just feel good. Like this thing's going to die today. Whereas with the rifle, there's still a little bit of me that like, there's 10 or 15% here where it's like, I don't know, man, I'm going to do everything I can do, but I just don't have that same level of deep confidence that I do and in some ways, I almost put more faith in a broadhead than a bullet, especially, you know, I do a lot of bear hunting and I just find that damage that broadhead does on the way through in some ways is so much more devastating than some, like just this one line that a bullet puts through. Like it doesn't shred things open and get that like catastrophic kind of blood loss damage that a broadhead seems to do just so much better in, in certain situations with certain animals. Yeah. Yeah, makes sense. It's it's more of a part of you, I think, you know, with the bow, for sure. It's far more intimate. That's what I try and describe to people. Like it doesn't it doesn't feel the same to me. I mean, I I enjoy rifle hunting and I find it rewarding and it's still very challenging and I'm, I I will I will never give it up, but there's an intimacy with archery that I just don't see how you could replicate with a rifle because you're just simply not as connected to the animal. Like you just, you're just, maybe if you get down into like a, like a, like a, um, what, like a muzzle loader or something like a traditional firearm or like, you know, I was listening to that meteor episode where they're doing the flintlock shit, you know, like th then, I'm, then now we're back in an area where I think the intimacy would, would be comparable to archery. Yeah, true. Definitely. So when did you, the other thing I find really impressive about you, like, I think I'm pretty lucky and get to like, get around and do some trips, but like you get around, bro. You know what I mean? You get some hunts in. So when did you start heading off Island to do, you know, I'd like to get into telling some of the stories, uh, to do some of like the, the more, the, the, the more bigger kind of travel hunts that, that you've kind of been into since I've been following you for the last few years. Yeah. Um, I've always kind of been real adventurous, uh, even in my earlier years of, um, you know, taking, like I did a lot of shoreline fishing and we would, uh, you know, we load up our kayaks and go down to some of the most remote areas on the Island, you know, launching out of a bay that, you know, and, and landing on these points that nobody's ever been to or ever fished from. Uh, so I always like taking it to the next level and it, you know, it, of course it was always more plentiful, right. The, the catches and, and, yep experience and the adventure and everything was just more filling for me. Uh, so, um, so the hunting over here in Hawaii was great, you know, for the first, I don't know, half dozen years or so. Um, uh, and then I just wanted to step it up a notch and I, you know, I, of course I was watching hunting shows like every single day, you know, yeah. I've seen massive elk and moose and everything else you know uh, red stags in new zealand and all that and i was just like chomping out the bits like man i want to go do these hunts and uh yeah i started saving up money and then every year uh since just been going on these adventure hunts um met quite a few really really good people in the industry that kind of took me under their wings 
and uh, shared camp in a few of these spots, you know, Montana and uh, Alaska and New Zealand and those sorts of places. And uh, yeah, man, I just live for the adventure and, and going balls to the wall and getting freaking out there, you know, in the remote country, especially being kind of trapped here on the island. Right. And like I was you with with the, you know, amount of private property we have, you can't really stretch the legs as much when you go over there and there's just millions of acres of public land. And I'm just like, Oh man, I never feel so free in my life, you know, going on these trips and these adventures. Uh, it really means the world to me. So, uh, you know, start putting in for the tag system, you know, the last five, six years, no, actually about the last eight, eight or 10 years. And, uh, you know, and, and mostly just drawing general tags yeah, and just out there and just doing it. Um, rather than trying to pull these premier tags, it's just, I, I, it, you know, hunting these hunting as much as I do and having the skills that I do, it, it still humbled me going and hunting these other animals, right. Yeah. For the first time, especially, um, you know, going back the second, third time and, and learning these animals and, and their behaviors and, and stuff like that, uh, definitely helps. So, and the only way to do that is by, by drawing more tags, right. Putting more tags in your pocket. So, uh, yeah. So every September I'm either in Alaska or, uh, Montana, Idaho. Uh, I drew a good New Mexico unit last year, which was a blast. Uh, that was pretty fun. Um, let's see. I've hunted Oregon elk, Montana elk. Uh, I think this year I might do Wyoming general. I think I've got the point all the Wyoming general tag and, uh, yeah. And then done Alaska and New Zealand. I mean, just <laughs> incredible hunts. I mean, I, I just can't even put it into words how, how amazing, you know, those places are. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. wild, man. You, you really hit the nail on the head for one thing for me in particular. And this is this ability for me, the definition of a hunter has always been, I want to be a guy that you can drop off on the side of a mountain and in 14 days, I'll walk out with something on my back and it can be a mountain I've never been to with an animal I've never hunted. And I'm nowhere near there. That's my North star. That's where I'm headed. And when I look around and see how some other people approach hunting, I can't help but feel like that gets lost on some people because it's more about the success. And and hearing you say that humility of of going to those places for the for the first time, like I, I can't imagine just doing the same stuff over and over and over again. And I think there's a place in, in your year for some of that. But for me, those like pinnacle moments are those, you know, the places where I've never been before. You got to figure it out on your own. I don't have any problem with guided hunts, but again, it's the same thing as we were talking about archery, that sense of satisfaction of going someplace and being able to figure it out by yourself or with a couple buddies, you know, and maybe you got some hints from some locals. That's cool too. But like, it, there's just very few things in life that are as rewarding and very few times where I've felt so self-sufficient. Like there's just a purity to it, especially because it's food and it's another animal and you you know, yeah, that's what it's all about for me, man. Like if I could, if I could narrow it down and only do one type of hunting for the rest of my life, I'm not even a species guy. Like I, I'd be happy to go. I don't even, not that I don't care, but like mule deer, sheep, elk, I don't care. It's more about like the adventure. And then the animal is like a, okay, it's an elk adventure or oh, it's a sheep adventure. I'm, I, I really don't care. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm with you there. It's funny. I, I had an uncle, old uncle one time over here tell me, you know, in the beginning stages, it's it's like you go out there and you try to catch as many 
as possible, right? As many animals, as many fish as possible. And then you grow out of that and it's all about catching the biggest, right? You're out there trying to shoot the biggest animals as possible. Well, once you get past that, the next thing is you're, you're going out there for the adventure and for the experience just to get away. And I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm almost to that tier. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm all about the adventure now, man. I've, I've got some animals under my belt and yeah, that's, that's not what's most important to me. It's about, you know, just, just being out there and, and feeling the, the freedom and the fresh air and, and sharing camps with good buddies and having a blast. And no matter who kills or who shoots something, just, just every, everything that you can wrap your, your head around that, you know, uh, that's what means most. Tell me the story of the last, it was a moose, right? In Alaska, the last minute moose, when you guys were waiting to get, I remember following along and this is just, this was wild what happened, but, but share that story for me. Okay. Yeah. So I've got some good buddies in Alaska and, uh, basically, um, you know, we went out there and we, uh, I got flown in with a buddy of mine and he was a pilot and, you know, we shared camp in uh, the second day of, well, we were in base camp, hunting around base camp for a few days, didn't get much luck. And then we jumped in the, the cub and we went deep and we landed on a gravel bar. And the next morning um, I arrowed a, a pretty giant bull and, uh, you know, he, it took him two trips, the shuttle to meet back wow. and. And, uh, and then he came to pick me up and we had about two hours before dark and we're heading back down to base camp. Um, and we buzzed, you know, a bunch of moose heading back down, but then we buzzed this one moose in general. And it was just a freak of nature. Like my buddy's been flying for 25 years and he's never seen anything like it. Um, so we circled it and there just so happened to be a gravel bar 400, 500 yards away from it. And we landed the cub. And there's about an hour left of light. We get out of the cub and it's standing on top of this river bank with his massive horns, you know, looking at us about 400 yards away. We grab the binos and, you know, we put them up to our face and, and he looks at me. He's like, I've only seen one other moose that might, might compare to that in 25 years of flying up here. And he's like, we're going after that moose in the morning. And he was going to use my bow. He didn't even have a weapon, but we got the same draw length and stuff. So he's like, I'll use your bow. I'm like, perfect. So we set up the camp that next morning. We get up early and we hike around that mountain in that thick bush literally for 12 hours. I mean, all day calling and raking and scraping and trying to just find wherever this, we called him the stag bull because he just had all this junk and trash and kickers hanging off him. I mean, it was just a <laughs> crazy, crazy ass moose. And uh, so we had no luck. I mean, we went like three miles, four miles deep in this thick country. I'm looking at my buddy like, how the fuck are we going to pack this thing out of here? Like, that's not even possible. He's like, we'll figure it out. I'm like, we'll figure it out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we were pretty deep trying to find this thing. And uh, yeah, so no luck. Um, so we had we got back to camp about four in the afternoon with a few hours of light left. And he had his buddy Linwood, uh, fly up to meet us that had a friend, uh, Jim from Minnesota. And it was Jim's first time moose hunting along with my first time moose hunting. So Linwood came and, uh, dropped in the gravel bar 
by where we were camped out. And, uh, you know, we, and he, he just basically brought Jim up there going to a different spot, but, you know, we seen quite a few moose and had that big one around that zone. We figured, Hey, you know, let's share camp for the night and then they'll be off on their way. If we don't see anything the next day. And, uh, and going back to Jim's story. So my buddy Stevie's dad was, was a, uh, Bush pilot instructor and he trained this guy Linwood and, uh, he trained Jim how to fly. And cause Jim was a pilot as well. And he promised to take Jim up moose hunting, but unfortunately Steve's uh, dad passed away in a freak accident, like a couple years back. Shit. Linwood being the kind of guy he was, he offered to take Jim on that moose hunt that Steve's dad promised to take him on. Okay. So that would okay. in the picture. And so the next morning we wake up super early and Linwood's crawling out of his plane and me and Stevie are, are getting out of the tent and Stevie goes, you know, he walks in about 50 yards to drop a deuce. And as he's dropping a deuce, he hears two freaking bulls clashing horns, like literally a couple hundred yards away. And uh, he runs back and he's like, where's your bow? I hear some, some moose fighting. And I'm like, it's right here. And he's like, I, I got some, you know, some moose right up here a few hundred yards away. And, and Jim was still in the tent, passed out. We didn't even wake him up. And Linwood grabs his rifle and he goes around the island of the gravel bar where the tree in the middle of the trees, I think the bulls were fighting. And me and Stevie start working our way in with, with the bow and calling and grunting. And well, what ended up happening was I think they heard us in the gravel bar and they kind of blew out the back door where Linwood was set up with a rifle and Linwood got a shot and we heard the shot crack off and he dropped the bull on was about 55, 56 inch bull. And he was stoked. I mean, he's got tons of dogs. Um, he's got meat for the winter. He's an Iditarod racer. I guess he's the second oldest guy in the Iditarod, um, racing. He's been racing that for 30, 40 years or something. So he had moved to the winter, you know, he didn't care that, you know, size as long as it was legal. Yeah. So he got pulled down. And then it's back to, uh, you know, packing it out, which wasn't very far to the strip. And then Stevie and Linwood shuttling the, the meat back. Okay, well, this is where the story gets good. So me and Jim are packing up the leftover stuff. I like how we already have two moose down <laughs> and we've been in several call, calling situations. And now yeah. the story is about to get good. Right, right. Yeah, I could have gotten more into detail <laughs> about my moose as well, but maybe another day. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, so me and Jim are, are sitting by the fire and, you know, we just got done packing up the last of the tents and the last of the gear. And those guys are shuttling the last of the, the moose meat of Linwood's moose back down to base camp. And they're, they're heading back up and, and, you know, we're just shooting the shit, talking story by the fire, just enjoying ourselves. Right. And the next thing we know is we hear this branch snap and it, it sounded like it came from about a couple hundred yards away, not very far, uh, down over the river bank, down towards one of the sloughs, right? The rivers have all these sloughs that cut back um, and go deep into the, the bush or whatever. And, you know, I looked at Jim. I was like, did you hear that? He's like, yeah, I did. I was like, man, I think a moose broke that because, you know, we heard some what moose been doing the last couple of days, right? Branches cracking, snapping. And, uh, he, uh, I said, I'm going to grab my binos. You go and grab your gun and let's take a little stroll over there and see what's going on. 
so we start walking over there and I can see the tops of the moose paddles over the crescent of the berm kind of coming up to the right. And there's a bunch of bushes in our way. And I, so I told Jim, Jim, there he is. I can see the tops of his paddles. Uh, you know, let's, he was about 300 yards away. I said, let's cut the distance in half to about 150 and get set up on this, this tree. And, uh, and I think he's going to come out on this opening. So me and Jim, you know, got down low and, and we made our way to the tree and I got Jim set up on the branch and, and I see the moose cutting across through the thick, thick bushes. And I said, look, he's about to hit this opening right here. Let me glass him up, make sure he's a legal bull. And if he's the bull you want to take, take him. And sure enough, that moose popped out, dude. And he was a stag bull. That means Steve, you were out. Or I mean, just the biggest, gnarly, nastiest thing coming off his head you've ever seen. And I looked at Jim and I'm like, Jim, it's the freaking freak bull that we were after. Dude, take him if you can. And right after I said take him, dude, he just, he pumped one round in him and the bull spun a 180. And I said, dude, hit him again if you can. You know, as long as he's still standing and he shot him again and dropped him in his tracks. And that bull went down and, and we're like high-fiving. And Jim has no idea. What right. he just what he's just right? done, yeah, 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 no freaking idea. So we walk over there and we're like little kids, just high fiving and all giddy and just, oh man. So we walked up on that thing and it was like, I had no idea, right? Dinos- my- it's a dinosaur, man. Like you, your brain doesn't even comprehend. Like it would be so gigantic, right? And so we walk up on that thing and he's just like, holy cow! And he's like, what are we gonna do? And I'm like, well what we're going to do is <laughs> we're going to wait for these guys to get back and we're going to pull a little prank on them. It's like, what do you mean? He's like, they're going to buzz the gravel bar and see the moose lying on it. I was like, no, they're not. Stevie's going to buzz the woods where we last seen that bowl. And then he's going to circle in and land and sure as shit, him and Linwood go and buzz the forest where we see last seen the stag bowl, you know, the couple of days before. And then he lands and we came up with this story like, hey, guys, you know, we, before we leave, we only had about two hours before dark to make it back to base. It was about an hour flight. And I was like, before we leave, we got to show you this weird skull we found down by the river. And they're like, oh, man, OK, but we got to get going. You know, we're running low on light. I was like, yeah, just real quick. There's a strange skull down here by the river. I want you guys to check out. He's, he's like, it's probably a chupacabra or whatever those freaking things are going <laughs> like that. So we're just walking down, you know, you know, happy, just having a good time. And, um, and then, yeah, I documented it all on my Instagram, man. That story mode is pretty funny, but, uh, but yeah, Stevie caught it out of the corner of his eye and he was just like, what the F? Oh my God. And he was like, he was so happy for Jim because the whole story, you know, with his old man supposed to take hunting and, and the way it, it, it was just all meant to be. I really felt that, you know, inside and, and I felt like his old man was looking over us the whole entire hunt. And it just, it was an incredible experience to be a part of. And yeah, when we went down there and, and you know, we're just, all of our jaws were just, you know, freaking dropped and checking it out and had all this trash and kickers coming off it. We ended up getting it, uh, getting it measured and it went number six in the world with a gun. What? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Holy shit. 
Yeah, the thing was just insane. I mean, yeah, go on my Instagram at Missions Hawaii and check out some of the pictures of that thing. I mean, the trash. So, so yeah, we spent another cool thing. We spent all night, you know, cutting it up, packing it back to the runway. But what was freaking awesome was the the Northern Lights came out while we were, you know what I mean? And we all just stopped and like watched the Northern Lights for a half an hour and. Everything was just so majestical, man. Even the, the animal itself, of course, it's hard to describe. Yeah, hunt of a lifetime. I mean, just definitely the pinnacle of my hunting career and the yeah. way everything went down. I mean, of course, Stevie would have liked to, to shot that moose, but, you know, with Jim taking it, I mean, you couldn't have asked for anything better with the whole way the story panned out. Yeah. Yeah, he was a little scared flying that thing out, man, putting that rack on his plane. He didn't know if that... You know, <laughs> he's got a little bit older of a cub, and it's, it's actually it was his dad's cub. Okay. And yeah, he, he was a little worried flying that that uh, the, that those antlers out on, on his wing, man. It was, <laughs> but we we did it, man. We did it. Yeah. That is badass, man. And yeah. my hats off to those bush pilots, man. Those Crazy. guys are incredible. Holy yeah. cow! Because there's a few things that happened on our trip that you know i don't even know if i should talk about but it was like life-threatening shit like those guys i'm sure experienced it all the time so you know hats off to those guys man yeah different breed man yeah yeah 100 percent. there's one other hunt i want to i want to ask you about before we start wrapping things up how did you you just got back from some odd dad did you not i did how was that? I, I kind of had a mixed experience. So I'd like to hear how your how yours was. Yeah. So me and uh, one of my best buds, Janus, uh, we do a lot of hunting all over it, right? When I travel, I travel with him and my other buddy, Robin. But uh, so we drew this New Mexico Audad hunt two years in a row. Okay. Uh, only like 50 some people put in for it the year before we drew it. And there's only like five non-resident tags. And because of COVID and, you know, the fam was a little worried during those times, I ended up, we ended up just eating the tag and not going on it. Okay. So we put it for it last year and we drew it again. And I noticed on the statistics that hunt actually doubled. There was about a hundred people that put in for it and we drew two out of the five tags for it again, which was pretty miraculous. Um, what really intrigued me about the odd dad, number one, is they're just a beautiful sheep, right? With the chaps. Awesome. I mean, just a really pretty animal. And number two was the challenge that supposedly, you know, it takes to arrow one of these things with a bow. And I think oh, yeah. that's why very few people put in for that, that archery tag. Um, so that definitely caught my interest. And then of course, being a sheep hunt, right? How many yeah. sheep hunts? Can so, so yeah, yeah, so we flew down there and uh, drove, uh, you know, down South. It was a unit in Southern New Mexico. And, um, and we basically, we met up with a local down there that wanted to share camp with us. He was just super nice. He's like, man, I love hunting all of that. I'd love to share camp with you guys. You know, you're coming down here with the bows from Hawaii. You guys, you know, must know what you're doing, right? Coming all the frick the way over here to hunt these odd dad. Um, but he's like, man, I'll tell you, I don't really know anybody that arrows odd that, right? They, yeah might arrow some small ones but you know nothing like big caliber kind so we're like man we're up for the challenge so uh he was really nice and um 
there was a couple places in mind that, you know, we, we e-scouted and we ended up, uh, he asked us where we wanted to go. And I said, well, I was kind of, you know, looking at this area because it looked like a similar area that was real popular to a lot of the, the hunters as far as the research that I've done. And he's like, yeah, that's a pretty good area, man. Let's, let's stick with that plan. And I was like, so it was cool that we went to the area that we actually scouted instead of going to his honey holes and stuff like that. Yeah. So for sure. up there and um, yeah, so he shared camp with us two out of the four days. And the first morning, you know, we hike up and we get up to the, the ridges and, you know, we're looking for sheep and uh, we don't see anything for a couple hours. And then down below us coming out of just the, the canyon of death, right? Here come about 10 or 12 freaking odd dad popping up onto the flats and start feeding. So, uh, so yeah, we looked down there and sure enough, there was a pretty big ram with him, and it was pretty cool because he was rutting a ewe. And there was another ram that was pretty decent size too, that he, you know, was chasing off and they were doing the full rutting thing. So it was, yeah. it was pretty experience. And I looked at my buddy Janus and, um, <laughs> quick story, but I sprained my knee, uh, about a month prior. So I didn't really get to, uh, train for this hunt that much so by the time we got up to that top ridge of the glass i was my legs were feeling it already yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. dude you go after him you, <laughs> he's like no way you go and of course there's a back in the forth. he's like you always tell other people to go first and i'm like oh, all right whatever so i dropped down in there after him and and i got into like a riverbed and watched the last sheep kind of crest over this hill and i just snuck up underneath them real quiet as quiet as I could be, because it's like walking on glass and that shit, right? All oh, that yeah. world. It's brutal. And and I got up and I. Are you wearing up. anything? Sorry to interrupt. Are you wearing anything for like um like 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 a stocking moccasins or or anything like that? Are you just in like like your boots or sneakers or something? Yeah, I was I was in my mountain boots, and okay. uh, I mean, recommend putting something softer on your feet if you if you could. I've um, had really took- good luck with those kind of fleece. Uh, I forget what they're called. A oh, shit. Oh, sneak techs. And they're basically okay. like a two inch Burberry fleece sole that have these like little bungee cords. And the reason I like them is you pull them right on over your hunting boots. And okay. you know what? It's like, there's so many stickers and shit down there. It's like, you're not stocking in your socks. Like it's just, it's not happening. Um, but when I go to Arizona, I use those sneak tech things. You can buy them on Amazon for 50, 60 bucks. Um, Perfect. And I, and what I like about them, because it's all that lava rock, no matter how soft you walk, it's like, like it's the worst. And it seems to be because the fleece part is bigger than your boot. It almost like it muffles all that noise. But anyways, I, I've had really good luck with those. If you're ever looking for something to pick up. I am looking for pick up. Definitely. I'll, I'll take a look at those. Um, yeah. So I, you know, I, I, I saw the last sheep kind of crest over the hill a few hundred yards away and got down, came up underneath them and, and had good wind at the time. And, but it wasn't a lot of wind because it was real windy up on the ridge. But once you get down in these pockets, yeah, yeah, yeah. like to be in the wind. So it was yep. actually, it wasn't blowing very much, which was tough because it made it a lot louder. Yes. Um, it just as slow as possible, watching every step I took and getting up there and peeking over. And I think I caught a horn at about 40 yards. Okay. And I'm like, shit, they're right here. I'm like, okay. Now I just freeze and I'm like, I know this ram is rutting and he's zigzagging and he's going crazy all around, all over the place. I'm just going to freeze. I'm not even going to move anymore because I don't want them to catch me. Yep. So I knew where one ram was 
And then I started, okay, there's another sheep. And I saw about four out of the 10. Like, okay, they're right here. But the problem was there's a ton of that uh, Choya cactus. Yep. There, Choya cactus fields. So, like, I had two small windows to shoot through. Yep. They're about yep. plate size windows. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, this sucks. You know, I don't have much uh, much lanes to shoot through. So I just watched them, and I, I waited about 30, 45 minutes. And, and then finally the ram went and checked his you and he stopped in one of those those windows i had yeah. and barely creeped over slid over drew back my bow and he was quartering away and i let the arrow fly and i clipped the cactus right before him and i'm like oh my god you just blew it on a freaking big ram and so what ended up happening was the ram ran down about 20 yards and I ranged him. He was at 55, just about to drop into this canyon of hell. And, <laughs> and I'm like trying to knock another arrow and, and, you know, and uh, figure out where my shooting lane was. And I drew back. And as soon as I drew back, he launches over the, you know, he goes down in, into this. Oh. And I'm like, man, what just happened? Did I just blow that? Oh my God. And sure enough, all the other sheep, as soon as the last sheep went down into the canyon, I bolted to that ledge he was standing on and looked down trying to find him. And the canyon was super deep. Like I couldn't get into it, but it wasn't very far across. It was only about okay. 60 to 80 yards across to the other side of the canyon. Yeah. And I started catching them coming up the other side of the canyon. Right. So, I, Oh, there they are. So grab out my range finder and, and, and I see him coming and, and the smaller, bigger ram stopped, and I range-finded him, and he was at uh, 86 or 82. And the big ram came and stopped right on a plateau above him, and I said, perfect, 86. Dialed it down to 86, drew back, let the arrow fly, and I smoked him. And he basically ran up, got on top of the hill. Thank God he didn't fall down into the Yeah, canyon. yeah, yeah. Top of the hill. And he ran up about 50 yards, did a 360, did a huge horse leap through a cactus. It was the craziest thing I've ever seen. And then crash landed to his death. <laughs> and Oh, uh, shit. And guys, you know, those two guys are watching up on the ridge about a mile and a half away, you know, through the spotters. Yeah. Just freaking hooting and hollering and, you know, all that shit, bro. It was, it was freaking badass. And I walked up on the ram, man, and I was blown away how cool of an animal these things are. I mean, yeah. just beautiful. And, yeah, he ended up going 32 inches. That's a yeah. nice ram, man. Big, big ram. Yeah. That's a real nice ram. I think I'm going to have to – I got a buddy down there, um, and he's always telling me to, like, put in for some exotic stuff in, and, and he'll kind of hook me up with some spots. Guys, I went to Texas on a guided Audad hunt. I ended up – uh, shooting one with a rifle, tried with a bow for the first three, four days, couldn't get it done. Last day or two of the hunt, decided to break out the rifle and, and get it done. And the problem was this particular guy just had access to like checkerboarded areas of private. So you'd basically like go to a spot and sit there and be able to glass like a little section. And if mm -hmm. there were sheep there, great. And if there weren't, you'd kind of go somewhere else. And, um, the next time I go for Audad, I, I do want that more open expanse because it's like I want the ability to kind of do what you did is like get on them and then work them and like follow them and spot and stalk and that more like big open kind of terrain. The other thing that the 
the guide screwed me on my euro. Um, oh. It's like four years ago, and it and it he's he's never sent it. And I actually, after three years and not picking up the phone, he picks up the phone like a month ago. And I'm like, hey, and he's like, uh, hi, and I'm like, yeah, the fuck's my skull? That's <laughs> like. And we had like a pretty nice conversation because I was like, I'm not going to be a dick because he's in Texas and he'll just hang up the phone. So I was like trying to play the nice. Oh, I'm sure you just, you know, you must have set it aside, whatever. And he's like, oh, yeah, no problem. We'll get it to you. And yeah, it's been another month and I haven't. Oh, man. Shit. And it's like, dude, those things are a dime a dozen down there. Like, go shoot another one. I don't <laughs> care. I, ju I just want like a souvenir of the odd dad that I shot. I wouldn't even recognize if it was a different one. Like, yeah, it was pretty, pretty funny. But what a weird thing to... To, like all you had to do was drop it off at the taxidermist. Do you know what I mean? Like what a weird thing to to not yeah. do. Like it wasn't even like a big mount that you're gonna keep or it's like a two hundred dollar euro. And that was the other thing that I thought odd dad in particular, because I love the way my goat euro from Maui, like it's just like demon looking skull, right? And that's why I wanted somebody's like, oh, are you gonna mount the odd dad? I'm like, no, I'm not gonna mount it. I just want the skull with like mm -hmm. the big slayer horns coming off the back. You know, I just thought that looked badass. Yeah, I was contemplating too euroing it, but man, with the chaps and all oh. that stuff coming off it, I'm like, I gotta put this thing on a rock with the front legs. I mean, it, it's yeah. just too animal not to. Especially one, you know, of that caliber, like it was a pretty big round. That's the thing. If I'd shot anything anywhere close to what you did, I'm sure I would have felt the same way. Like this deer back here is the only thing I've ever had shoulder mounted. And he's, he's a 33 inch spread. And when I was like, yeah, I'm just going to get him a Euro. The, my buddy, Chad, who was guiding me down there, looks at me like, I will shoot you. I will <laughs> shoot you right now. He's like, that deer gets mounted. And I'm like, okay, understood. <laughs> and it did kind of like create this like uh, this perception or this understanding that animals of a certain caliber get and maybe it's right maybe it's wrong i don't know but animals of a certain caliber get a certain amount of respect and um i do feel that way like all my like you know you know meat deep bucks and all that kind of stuff they can be euros in the room but when you when you shoot something special like that it needs to be i think it needs to be commemorated in a special way that's how i feel about it anyways now yeah i feel this definitely yeah, and then uh, two days later, um, you know, our buddy took off, so he wasn't with us. But uh, same thing, we went up on that ridge, looked for sheep, and in, I'd say in four days, we probably only seen about six or seven herds of sheep, so there wasn't okay. a ton. Of them, yeah, yeah. Right? But uh, and then trying to find them in a in a stockable spot. That, yeah. was, that was they're tough to glass too, man. Like they blend right in that kind of like dusty, dirty brown that they are. Mm -hmm. Like you, it, it, when they're moving, they stick out pretty good. But they're they're a difficult glass. It's not an easy animal to see. Yeah, they're almost like a maroonish color. So once you do kind of get your eyes fixated on them, you kind of know what color to look for. Yeah. yeah and, see, and that's the other thing that I find interesting about going to a bunch of different places is that couple days at the beginning where you're trying to dial your eye in. When I go for coos deer in Arizona, it's like that. Like I got nothing. And then once I see a couple of them, it's like your brain gets this imprint and it's like, okay, now I know what I'm looking for. And then you start picking them up. But those first couple days are rough, man, while you're trying to like build that mental image. Yep, exactly. Definitely. And uh, the better, the better the glass, the better. I 100%. mean, we, we had big high power spotters. Um, yeah. We even had uh, Sig came out with these uh, image stabilizing binos. Huge shout out to those things. Because really? you're, I was curious how those were going to be. 
Oh, dude, phenomenal. Game okay. changer. So, like, you're up on these, you know, windy ridges. And, I mean, it's blowing 30 to 40s. Yeah. It's blown, right? And with regular binos, you're shaking. I mean, you can barely pick out anything. Yeah. But with those things, you click that button, and it's it's smooth sailing. It's, it's, it's like, wild. It's so wild. I mean, big game changer, man. If, if anybody's in the market and, and does a lot of glassing in windy conditions, definitely pick up a set of those. And they get they have them in the 16 power or in a, a 10 power. We have the okay. 16. Yeah. That's a so. nice size bino too, man. You can do a lot of damage with 16s. Yeah. I know my one before I sold my 15 Swaros for desert stuff, I almost liked it better than my spotter because you just got that increased field of view, but then you still got enough magnification that it's bringing you that, you know, significantly closer than a pair of 10s. Yep. Yeah. That's what we had. We, uh, we had those 16 buys and then I had a pair of 15 buys and then we yep. had our big, and that's pound yeah. in. And, and yeah, and then we, uh, we ended up blasting a, a couple other good rams, just bedded on the other side of that that ridge. And my buddy went up and around and and stalked in on it, got to 30 yards on the two bedded rams and just waited for one to stand up. And yeah, I got a got a good arrow in that one. And uh yeah, he got a good ram too. His went 29 and three quarters. Dude, that speaks volumes, man. You guys rocking up someplace you've never been and being a stick arrows in two two rams on public land. Like that's that. That is not an easy feat, man. That respect for that. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. It was a fun hunt. It was everything we could ask for in a sheep hunt. You know, yeah. just the, the deserts, the cliffs, everything they live in, and it, it was it was badass, man. We had a blast. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, listen, man. I wanna I wanna respect your time. We've already gone gone over a little bit. Um, Thank you for coming on today, man. We'll definitely have to get you back on. I, I've lo- I knew it was going to be a blast getting you on because I love the stories. Like you always do such a good job, but with the, with the odd dad specifically, I'm glad we, we hit those two up because you did. I felt like I was right there with you on both those hunts as they were kind of unfolding. So I appreciate you, you taking the time. I'll make sure to stick your Instagram and anything else you want me to in the show notes. Anything else you want to, you want to add or say as we wrap things up? Um, not really, man. Just, you know, just to the people out there, just, just put tags in your pocket, get out. You know, that's, what's going to make you a better hunter. Not, you know, not waiting to, to draw these, these, these hard to get tags and, and it's, it's time of field. It really is. Um, you know, I've, I've got some, some buddies that are, are, are pretty high, you know, really, really good hunters. And I mean, I, I, I don't really consider myself like, you know, at their caliber or anything, but they do, they, they see what I have inside myself. And it's just from being, you know, hunting as much as I do. It really is. It comes down to time of field. So everything that you, you learn from that. Um, so just, just get in the woods, man, and, and enjoy it. Don't, don't get fixated on, on having to kill something. Yeah. I love just, it. That's a, that's a perfect way to sign off, man. It's perfect. And you, <laughs> the funny thing is when you take your mind off of it and you just start doing that, that's when you start stacking shit up. That's, that's the funny part about it. Right. Definitely. Yeah. Thanks, Jay. I appreciate you, man. It was fun. My pleasure, brother. We'll talk soon. Have a good one, man. There you have it. My buddy, Sean from Maui, man, I, he was listening to those. I got to have more guys come on and tell hunting stories, or maybe I just got to have more guys like Sean come on. Cause both those stories, the moose story and the odd dad, I was just 
riveted. I thought we were going to maybe get into more some more technical stuff just because, like, he's underselling himself. Like, that dude is a pretty humble guy. He's probably stacking, like, 30 to 40 Axis bucks a year down there. Um, and when you go on his Instagram, like, this guy gets out and, you know, does damage. He is a very skilled hunter. So I'm glad the conversation went the way that it did. And I hope you guys enjoyed that as well. As always, if you could like, share, comment, subscribe, I would greatly appreciate it. Any way you can engage with the platform, I'm always grateful for. Um, and if you want to, head over to the mindfulhunter.com slash shop, pick up a t-shirt or a sticker. That always helps support the podcast. And as always, thanks for tuning in.